Father, we, we're here to sing your praise, to voice your praise, to give you the glory that you deserve that is yours. Accept that from us. Let it be a pleasing sound to you. As you have, continue, Lord, meet with us here through the person of the Holy Spirit. Work in power here through your Spirit, I pray. Your kingdom is not a matter of words. It's a matter of power. That's what the Bible says. Power can come through the vehicle of words by the unction of the Spirit of the living God, and I'm asking that that is what would happen in the next 30, 40 minutes here. Let your power be evident in and manifest in the proclamation of your word. God, enable me to say what I need to say and Keep me quiet to not say what I should not be saying. I rely on you. I'm asking you to just superintend the gift of preaching right now in this place. I want to accurately divide and humbly communicate your truth. I'm asking that you would do the same thing all across this city this morning as your children in all the houses of worship around the city gather. Meet with them in the power of your spirit. Lift up the Lord Jesus Christ through the proclamation of your word this morning. trusting you to do that. God, I pray that your will would be done on Tuesday as we go to the ballot boxes to vote. Pray that your followers would just have insight from your spirit and your truth to vote as you would have them to vote according to their convictions based upon your word. Guide us in your truth in that. I believe the government rests on your shoulders. That's what the word says. Ultimately, you are sovereignly in charge. Thanking you that you are. Just commit the rest of this morning to you. Thank you for your truth. Oh, thank you for your truth. Use it to exalt your Son through the power of your Spirit, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I mentioned to you last week that we have a vote coming up here, uh, coming this Tuesday. I want to encourage you again. I've got so much to say in the message uh, this morning that I, I'm not going to spend much time at all talking about this 
I'm just I'm going to encourage you uh, to be a responsible uh, citizen and as a follower of Christ to let your voice be known in this republic, uh, in the city of Anchorage, and vote. Go out to the polls. If you need some information, we've got a table in the back out in the foyer uh, related to Proposition 5. I'd encourage you to be read up on that. I'm sure that uh, you're already aware. I spoke with it about that last Sunday, but that's been all over the media, and so I'm sure that you're informed about that. But if not, I encourage you to get informed about it. I want to say just one thing related to that. just feel impressed to, uh, to say I have, I have heard and heard of this week Those who are on the, what I would believe, what I believe to be the biblical side of the issue in opposition to Proposition 5, that though I would say that they are lining up with the side of truth, that in their actions they are not being an example of truth to those that they are in dialogue with. That's what I want to encourage you. Uh, it, is a, it is a possibility to have the right conviction regarding truth and have the wrong action regarding truth. That is a possibility. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we could possess all knowledge, understand all mysteries, understand the right and the wrong here. But if we have not love, it is nothing. Encourage you in all of your communication and all of your dialogue, don't just have the right conviction from Scripture, but you're meant to be a living example of that truth And that is done through love. Jesus Christ came full of grace and truth. They weren't confounded in his life. He was full of them both. And he wants us to be an example. We have come now to the last Sunday in the series Divine Design. It's a series that is geared toward helping us discover and develop and deliver our spiritual gifts in the life of the church for the building up of God's church. Last Sunday, we begin with what is, without question, the controversial subject the gifts of the miraculous, the spiritual gifts of the miraculous, and we're going to finish that half of that, second half of that uh, teaching here this morning. Gifts of the miraculous being the gifts of uh, miracles, the gifts of tongues, of healing, of interpretation of tongues, of prophecy, of foretelling future events, those gifts of the externally miraculous. And here's what 
I said last week, let me just state it again, maybe in a little different form, but same concept, that there is a great danger that we as Christians have the tendency to fall into. And the danger is this, that we interpret Scripture based upon our experiences instead of letting Scripture be the interpreter of our experiences. And what can happen is in that one error, that one danger, believers can fall into two extremes that are polar opposite of each other. It's based upon the same error. But the result is two extremes that are completely different in their conclusion. And let me explain those to you. The first one is this. The first extreme is to go beyond what the Scripture says. It is to use your experience to then speak into the Scriptures something that is not in the Scriptures. And what this tends to do is lead those who fall into this extreme into fanaticism, into sensationalism. Now there is another extreme, the opposite of that, that's based upon the same Root problem, the interpretation of Scripture based upon experience. And that extreme is this. It is to be satisfied with what you have because what you've experienced is all there is and nothing else is offered. That extreme lends itself to formalism. It lends itself to apathy, not vibrancy. It is the extreme in which the spirit is quenched. The spirit that wants to do something but is not allowed to do that thing because it's something that is outside of your realm of experience And even though it's in the Scriptures, your experience supersedes the Scriptures and you force an interpretation on the Scripture that's not there because you ground it in your experience. Two extremes. Same root problem. Two extremes in the working out of that problem. So what I am advocating, what I talked to you about last week, what I'm talking to you about again this week in relationship to the miraculous gifts of the Spirit is that there is a balance there. We need to find the truth in the middle of those two extremes. And the, the fundamental point is this. Check everything with the Word of God. Make sure that everything lines up with the Word of God or that nothing that you believe is a contradiction to the Word of God in specific or in principle. So with that, 
thought in mind. Let's continue the discussion that we began last week. And we're going to do that by zeroing in now on three chapters in the letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. If you have your Bibles, please flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be kind of surfing around chapters 12, 13, and 14 this morning. Three chapters that were given to this subject related to the spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit's gifts of the miraculous. A little context is needed to make sure that we have the right frame of mind, the right understanding related to what was happening here. Here's a question. Why did Paul write these three chapters? That's a question about context. Is this just something that Paul, the great teacher, wanted to just give them a systematic treatment of spiritual gifts? What was the impetus behind it? No, it was not a systematic dealing of doctrine related to the gifts. This was Paul at a distance dealing with an issue or circumstances that he heard about that were taking place in this church. Wrong actions, wrong attitudes. And so he wrote these three chapters to clear up the problem. This was a very practical, relevant need in the life of this church. And so Paul spent three chapters trying to bring balance where there was error and extreme. Let me just kind of give you the two bookends here. First verse of chapter 12, last verse of chapter 14, the two bookends of this section that deal with this. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You see, Paul had been informed that they were uninformed. And so he is writing here to inform them, to correct them, to give them the truth that they needed so that in the practice, in the life of the church, of the use of these gifts, they could line up with truth and not be into an extreme. To bring him back to a place of balance in the operation of these gifts. The last verse of chapter 14, but all things should be done decently and in order. Now, it's not too hard to read into that without even looking at the pretext of that. We're going to see that later. But there, there was disorder. There was stuff happening in relationship to the spiritual gifts in the life of the church of Corinth that needed to be brought back into order. And so Paul is setting forth the truth with a goal to see that happen. So what I want to do now is I want to just show you two or three ways that the believers at the church of Corinth were misusing or acting improperly related to the gifts. Pulling this out, Right from Scripture here, number one, they were evaluating each other according to the gifts that they possessed. They were evaluating each other based upon what gift a person did or did not have. Paul 
is very redundant in the first part of chapter 12 as he emphasizes that the Spirit gives specific gifts to specific people. He says, to one is given this gift, to another this gift, to another this gift, and he just goes down a list. And then he ends it by saying, and the Spirit apportions these, he gives these as he wills. The Spirit gives them as he wills. So here is the overarching truth. This is the concluding point. Last week as we looked at this, it's the overarching point that still governs what we're talking about here. And it's this. The gifts of the Spirit are given under the sovereignty of the Spirit of God. He is the one that is over the church. He is the one that determines to whom he gives the gift and what gift or gifts. When, this is also true, when they operate those gifts. And number three, how they operate those gifts. He is the sovereign ruler, the divine spirit over the gifts. Then he gives an illustration. An illustration that is so precisely selected and pointed at correcting this error of evaluating one another according to the gifts that they possess. He uses the illustration of a body, a physical body. Chapter 12. You can look down in your scriptures there. And he draws out the illustration like this. You have a body. And in that body, you have a lot of members. You have a hand, a leg, a head, a lot of different, specifically unique pieces make up your body. All of those come together, individual pieces, but perfectly joined and united together to form the oneness that is you. And then he extrapolates on that idea and he begins to say things like this. You don't say to one part of your body, man, I wish you'd become like this other part of your body. No, you don't do that because every one of the members of your body is important. It's good that they are different. It's good that they are unique because it's in their uniqueness that they fulfill the specific role for which they were created. And in the same way he's teaching, the church is the body. And the different members of the body have their own unique shapes. They have their own unique divine designs. And those shapes... Those divine designs are in part related to the gifts that the Spirit of God gives. So we can't say to one another, you need to be like this part of the body. That's ridiculous. He is trying to correct the error of evaluating each other based upon the gifts. I mean, Did any of us determine the shape 
and the different forms and functions of our physical body. Anyone in here have a say over that except maybe growing in the midsection when you shouldn't? No, we don't have a say over that. It's sovereignly determined by our creator, right? Same thing with the spirit of God and his gifts. We don't have a say over that. The spirit of God is sovereign over that. Here's a second error. They were elevating the lesser gifts over the greater gifts. Folks, I'm not dreaming this up. It is all over in here. And the point he uses, a specific example he uses, is that they were elevating tongues, which when he gives the list of the gifts, hovers around the bottom of the list, and they were elevating it to a place of preeminence. Now, don't read into what I'm saying. I am not discounting the gift of tongues. I'm simply trying to say here what Paul was saying. That the gifts need to be understood correctly. That we should not be elevating a lesser gift, giving it a preeminent place over a greater gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has appointed in the church, listen to the words of priority here, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, and the list goes on. It seems very clear that Paul is identifying a priority structure here. So what was taking place in the church of Corinth is that they were elevating a gift, a lesser gift, giving it a place above what it should hold. And the specific gift was related, it was the gift of tongues. Now, why were they doing that? I'm not trying to read too much into the scriptures. I think we could also pull some information here, some truth here from history. But I want to stick with the scriptures. It seems to me that the implication is that this gift of the Spirit was lending itself to exhibitionism. It was lending itself to the sensational so that the individual was in the spotlight or the gift was in the spotlight. And the individual or the gift should never be in the spotlight. I'll tell you what should be a little bit later in the message. But that is the context of what is taking place here. And so at the End of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says this, but eagerly desire the higher gifts. And then he goes into a, what I'm going to call right now, a kind of a parenthetical statement, which is chapter 13. We're going to come back to it in a minute to make a point. But what I want you to see here is the direct connection from the end of chapter 12 to the first of chapter 14. 
1 Corinthians 12, 31, but eagerly desire the higher gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He puts the gift of prophecy here over the gift of tongues. He says it explicitly in another part of these three chapters, just directly says that. That the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Now, again, please understand, I'm just trying to give you a context here. A context that was being addressed by Paul because of an abuse. It wasn't just Paul on a rampage to discredit the gift of tongues. He was dealing with what was happening. He got a report, and so he wants to correct them and bring them into balance. And so he is comparing, to make his point clear, the gift of tongues with the gift of prophecy. First Corinthians 14, 5. Now I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Notice the balance here. Remember what we said at the beginning? Don't fall into an extreme. Look at what Paul is doing here. He is balanced here. He is not saying discredit the gift of tongues. In fact, he says, I wish all of you spoke in tongues. But the balance is, I wish more that you would prophesy. And the stress there, the focus is given to prophecy because of its ability to build up those who hear. Look at verse 19 of chapter 14. Nevertheless, in the church I would rather speak five words of instruction than 10,000 words in a tongue. Why? Because he wants the church built up. He doesn't want a person spotlighted. He doesn't want a gift spotlighted. He wants believers built up in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's talking about the best ways to get that done and to have that kind of an attitude related to spiritual gifts. Don't be in this so that you can polish your nails and have a bragging right about a gift that you possess. If that's what you're doing, you've missed the whole point. You're out of balance. You've fallen into the Corinthian error. What you need to do is be in a place of balance. Your focus should be to build up the church. So, balance. Be open to the gift of tongues, balance. Be cautious of sliding into error. Don't 
blindly accept all or every instance of speaking in tongues, but balance. Don't blanketly dismiss those who claim to speak in tongues. Here's what we should do. Examine. Test all things and hold fast to that which is good, Scripture says. If I could just try to give a a quick definition here to the gift of speaking in tongues. It is the gift in which the Holy Spirit comes upon a person and enables that individual to speak in a language that they do not know. The Greek word here is this. It means this, a speaking tongue or a tongue in action as opposed to a dialect. The idea is behind it is this, that in the operation of this gift, the Holy Spirit empowers or enables or moves or controls the tongue of the individual to do something beyond that individual's understanding, beyond their mind's ability to do. When you move your tongue to form words and intelligible sentences and convey thoughts, what is controlling your tongue? Your mind is, your understanding is directing your tongue to do what you've learned to do in the gift of tongues That is superseded. It's beyond the understanding. It is the work of the Spirit of God that enables that to take place that is outside of the understanding. But I want to give you a word of balance about that. Look, first of all, at chapter 14, verses 14 and 15. Paul says, If I pray in a tongue... My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. It's just what I was talking about. My spirit's praying, but my mind, I don't know what I'm saying because I don't know the language. The spirit is enabling me to speak that. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. The gift of tongues then is the spirit of God giving the ability, moving the tongue in action to do what the mind, the understanding of man could not do. It is a language that they do not know. I think this has a couple of benefits listed in Scripture. One of them is that as we praise God, do you think God is pleased when we praise Him? We're, we actually minister to Him when we do that. How do the world that works? I don't know, but we get to minister to God when we give Him our praise through the spoken word. The Spirit of God is enabling a believer to speak a language they don't know what the person is doing as they're speaking that, as they're praying out that language, like Paul here in prayer 
Praying in tongues is glorifying God. His mind doesn't know what he's saying, but he knows what he's doing. He is giving praise to God. He's giving glory to God. Here's the other benefit. 1 Corinthians 14.4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. There is the clear statement of Paul here who says at one point, and we'll see this a little later, that he speaks in tongues more than all of them. Paul says that builds him up. I don't, I, I'm not going to even try to understand that. That is beyond understanding. But clearly that's what Paul is saying. That when he speaks, when he's praying in a tongue, though he doesn't know what he's saying, he knows what he's doing. He's ministering to the Lord. He's giving praise and glory to God. And it ministers back to him somehow. It builds him up. But here's the word of balance. When a person is doing that, when they're in their prayer closet and they're praying in tongues to the Lord, they're not doing it for a show, they're not doing it for sensationalism, They're doing it because they're under the leadership of the Spirit of God, enabling them to do that. But listen, they are not out of control. Though it's beyond the understanding of their mind, they are still in control. It's not something that happens to them that they kind of go unconscious over and then wake up when it's done. They are aware of what they're doing, though they do not know what they are saying. One more point here. 1 Corinthians 14, 18, Paul writes, Listen very carefully to the specific words that he uses. And then we're going to see an implication drawn from that. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 14, 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Look very closely at that. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul, let me try to help you see what he says by showing you what he didn't say. Paul did not say that I thank God that I speak in more tongues than all of you. You see, some have interpreted this verse to mean to say this, that what Paul is doing is thanking God that he's more multilingual than anyone else in the Corinthian church, that he speaks more languages than anyone else. Now, just on the surface, this is not the critical point, but just on the surface, it really doesn't even make any sense. He's not there. How would he even know that? 
If that's what he was saying, how would he even know that? Corinth was a cosmopolitan city. A lot of different dialects around there at that day. There were people, undeniable, there had to be people in that church that spoke multiple languages as Paul did. Why would he be even saying, I thank God that I can speak more languages than you can speak? What's the point of that? But here's the critical issue that that is wrong both contextually and grammatically. Because what Paul did say was that he thanked God that he spoke in tongues more. Let me say that in another way to draw out the truth. I thank God that I do this more than you do it that I do this more frequently. It's an adverb here. If this is... And here's an implication I'll draw from that. The implication is that the person who speaks in tongues does not just do it whenever they want to do it. That's an implication directly related to this statement. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, I'm just trying to... Folks, I don't have this gift. I am not saying that this would be a bad gift to have at all. But I'm just trying to draw from what this word right here says. Why would Paul make the statement, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you if it's something that he did by choice? It would be like Paul saying, I thank God that I choose to take more of my time in my prayer closet to speak in the gift of tongues more than any of you do. What what would be the purpose of that statement? I thank God that I put into my daytimer more hours of the day than you do to speak in tongues. That doesn't even make sense with the context. What makes sense with the context is that he's trying to bring them back into balance. And so he is using this comparison between a lesser gift and a greater gift. And so in the midst of that discussion, he says, Related to tongues. By the way, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I thank God that he gets a hold of me. The spirit of God enables me to do with what my mind I could never do. He gives me the ability to speak in a language that I do not know in which I can give him praise and glory. I thank God that the spirit of God gives me that ability. That makes sense with the context. Then he goes on to talk about But prophecy is what really helps the church. So the context and the question or the statement itself seems to clearly imply that that gift is not something that you just do whenever you want to do it. It is miraculous. It is miraculous. It is in the same camp as the rest of the miraculous gifts, the gifts of healing, the gifts of foretelling something that's going to happen in the future. Can you just decide to do that, that you're going to foretell an event that's going to happen in the future? 
Can you just decide every time that you are going to heal a person when you want to do that? No, you can't do that. This is a gift of the miraculous. It happens when the unction, the power, the ability is given by the Spirit of God under His sovereign control. Consider the believers in the New Testament here. I think it is interesting that they never are in training with the gifts of the miraculous. They never are practicing. They're always just performing. They're never getting it right 50% of the time or 75% of the time or 95% of the time. They're getting it right every time. Take the gift of healing. Some examples in Scripture or the gift of the miraculous. Peter and John come to the temple gate and there is the man crippled from birth by the temple gate called Beautiful. And it says that, and they had to have passed him. He was put there to beg alms by those who were going into the temple to move them with compassion, to give him a a gift. They went to the temple regularly to pray. They had to pass him many times. But on this day, it says that Peter saw the man and he looked at him intently. He fixed his gaze there. There's an implication in that. Paul, I think it's in the 13th chapter. There is a a man that is trying to pervert the way, pervert the message that Paul is giving. And it says the same thing. Paul looked at him intently. He set his gaze upon him. There was a Something that took place that grabbed Paul's attention to give that man his attention. And then what did Paul do? He said, you're going to be blind because you're perverting the ways of the Lord. Peter and John looked at that man. Peter saw him, looked at him intently, and he went right over. And he didn't say, hey, I'd like to practice a gift of healing on you. They didn't say that. He said, I've got something from Jesus to give you. And he didn't even wait. He just reached out and he grabbed him by the hand. And he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And he pulled the man to his feet and legs that had never worked, worked. That's the way the Spirit of God oversees, superintends, sovereignly directs the gifts of the miraculous. They happen when he decides they happen under his leadership. Now, it seems to me that tongues falls into that category. What I am cautious to do in speaking to 400 plus adults every Sunday is that I stay in the place of balance that 
and I'm not claiming inerrancy here. I, I would tell you what I said to the first service. Check everything I say. Absolutely. Check it with this. I'm a human and I err. I have limited understanding just like you do. So don't just blindly accept and don't blanketly dismiss. Check it with the Scripture. But what I am cautious to do is that to make sure that what I'm telling you without talking into your individual circumstances is trying to tell you what this says right here to get our principles from this right here. Not to go beyond this that could potentially lead into fanaticism and sensationalism and not to stay shy of this which could lead to formalism and an impotent Christian life. Neither of those is the right position. But the right position is to stay squared up as best we can with what the Word of God says. And it seems to me that the principle being made here, the principle that applies to these gifts of the miraculous, which is specifically stated related to the prophet. 1 Corinthians 14.32 And the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. The spirit of prophets are subject to the prophets. He, that came right on the heels of a hypothetical situation in which he was using an example, talking about a prophet getting up to give a word from the Lord and another prophet, while he is doing that, has a word from the Lord. The second prophet should wait until the first prophet is done. The point being, the spirit of prophets is subject to the prophet. It doesn't just take you out of control. That's true of the gifts of the miraculous. It's true of the gifts of tongues, meaning this. When you are speaking in tongues, if you have that gift or those that have that gift, though their mind is not aware of what they're saying, they are not out of control. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. It's not something that takes them beyond their control. It's beyond their understanding, but they are still aware of what they're doing. They are giving praise to God. Here's a third, and I'm not even going to unpack this one, but a third abuse. They had become disorderly in their use of the gifts. Paul's trying to bring them back into order. We can see that from the last verse of chapter 14. What about a right understanding? That's some things they were doing wrong. Let me just give you three things related to a right understanding and use of the gifts. Number one is this. Spiritual gifts are to work in unity 
toward the goal of glorifying Christ. Spiritual gifts are to work in unity for the glory of God. Look at how he begins chapter 12 in verses 4 through 6. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. Do you see what Paul just did there? He highlighted the triune God right there in the midst of the discussion of the gifts. He turned his focus and his attention onto the triune God to use it as an example of how the gifts should operate in the life of the church. He said, the gifts are of the same spirit. The service rendered in those gifts are of are for the same Lord. And the power that operates in that rendering is from the same God. Spirit, Son, Father. And the point is this, in the same way that there is unity in the Trinity of the Godhead, there should be unity in the expression and use of the gifts of the Spirit. They are not intended to isolate and highlight a person. They are not meant for the sake of the experience. They are intended to be an expression of the triune nature, the unified nature of God in which the church works together to do what? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, right before he said that, Paul wrote, no man can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a whole bunch of information that could be communicated right there about testing the gifts. I just want to bring out this truth. And it's not just here. It's all over the New Testament. And it is this. The purpose or the focus of the work of the Spirit of God is always to do this. To glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That is always what he's doing. In the Gifting of an individual and the empowering of that individual to work through that gift. What the Spirit of God is wanting to do with that is to testify to the Lord Jesus Christ, is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the great statement Jesus made about the coming of the Spirit in Acts 1.8. He said, I want you to go, followers, to Jerusalem and wait for the gift of the Spirit that I'm going to send. And in Acts 1.8, he says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What is the Spirit of God wanting to do? He's wanting to give you power of God to be a witness for Jesus. He's wanting to give you power so that your life and your lips and your actions can be a testimony and exaltation uh, pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ that is always to be the use of the gift. And when it swings out of that realm into an extreme of either fanaticism or formalism, we're out of balance. Because neither glorifies Christ and neither promotes unity. 
They're to be used in unity to exalt Jesus Christ. Secondly, spiritual gifts are to be used unselfishly to build up the church. They're to be used unselfishly to build up the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Do you hear what's taking place there? The implication of why he's writing this because this church was lathered up and having the gifts of the manifestations of the miraculous. And Paul said, if you want those, have it with a desire for those that build up other people. Those that are geared toward helping your brother, helping your sister grow in the Lord. Not to... point the spotlight onto you or to point the spotlight onto the gift. Do it for the purpose of the building up of the body. Number three, spiritual gifts are to be desired but cannot be induced. These gifts of the miraculous are to be desired. He tells us to desire the greater gifts but they cannot be induced. They are under the sovereign control of the Spirit of God. He decides to whom He gives them. And when those that He gives them to, when they are empowered to operate in them. It is under His sovereign control. So if Paul tells us to desire them, does he give us any idea here on how to pursue those gifts? I think that he does. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, the second half of that last verse. Let me just read all of that verse. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Study that. Here's the conclusion that I've come to, here's what I believe that is saying. I believe the second half of the verse is a continuation of the thought of the first half of the verse. I don't think Paul in the middle of that verse is breaking and starting a new subject. He is expounding upon or commenting on what he said in the first part of the verse, meaning this. One famous theologian highlights it This way to bring out the truth interprets it the meaning like this. And moreover, I show you the way par excellence to obtain the gifts. That what he is saying here is eagerly desire the greater gifts and let me show you the way to pursue those. And here is what he then does. He launches into chapter 13, this great chapter on love. He tells them, pursue love. Don't pursue the gift, pursue love. Pursue, desire the gifts, 
the greater gifts, but pursue to be consumed with the love of God, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, to live a life of love in all that you do, in all that you say, in all that you think, in all of your relationships with other people. And as you do that, That is a way to pursue the greater gifts. I'm not saying that's all he says on it. He tells us to ask. He tells us to obey. Clearly, that obedience is included here in living a life of love because love is the fulfillment of the law. I love the way Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, if you really want the gifts, go into the graces. If you really want the gifts, go into the graces. I believe that's what Paul is saying right here. That's the path toward that seek, the love of the Lord. If you are filled with a love for the Lord and a love to the Lord... then you will be pursuing a life filled with the Spirit and His gifts, even His greater gifts. Question on how to end this series. And here is how I believe the Lord would have me to do this. Related to what we were just talking about there. Though it's been a series on divine design and your spiritual gifts being a part or a key part of that design, the focus is this the sovereignty of the Spirit of God. That what we should seek is the fullness of. The Spirit of God. That we would seek to be consumed by the Spirit of God, possessed by the Spirit of God, led daily, moment by moment, by the Spirit of the living God, so that we can have the power to be His witness, not so that we can have an experience. At times, those will come and there's nothing wrong with them, but they are not the goal. They are not the purpose. The purpose is the power to be the witness. And that power comes when the Holy Spirit of God falls upon your life and you are filled with Him. Then you are filled with His power to be a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you can use your gifts full of Him and not of self, not evaluating your spirituality based upon them and not judging other people based upon their gifts, but just doing it all for His glory in unity as the church of God is built up. I believe that's what God would have us to seek. Every revival in history 
I've read on them. I've studied them. I've read men that have studied them. Every revival in history is the result of an outpouring of the Spirit of God upon a people. Holy Spirit determines when that happens. He's sovereign. I don't think we can manipulate Him to make it happen. But we can respond to His call. And I believe His call to me, I believe His call to this church is to be praying for the outpouring of the Spirit of God for the purpose of being a powerful witness for Jesus Christ. It amazes me on this side of Christianity. It amazes me that a quarter of a million people in this city, out of 300,000, a quarter of a million every week say, the church is not relevant for my life. They say that by their absence. They say what the believers have is not relevant. They must be saying that because it's not worth their time. And I'm not faulting them for it. I believe that when the Spirit of God moves in power, that the witness of the believer transcends what that believer could ever do. And he takes a normal man or a normal woman and he does something with them that is supernatural. And what he does is he lets their light shine out so that it penetrates into darkness and it reveals deception and it clears up lies and it brings people to the truth of Jesus Christ. And when that outpouring comes, more can happen in a moment that the church can do in 50 years. It's the power of the Spirit of God. I ask you, is that true of your life? I've been asking that of my life. I mean, using Acts 1.8 as the question, is my life indicative to the world? I don't mean just here on Sunday, me getting up here and having a rampage on the stage here. I'm talking about, does the world see me? And when they see me, Are they impressed with Jesus Christ? Does the testimony of Christ go out in power? I'm praying for that. Praying for that for me. I'm praying for that for this church. I'm asking you to join me in doing that. Would you please stand? We're going to sing a song. You're welcome to come and pray at the altars if you want to do that as we sing. This is my desire to honor.
moment I'm away. 